While we coined the term Scooby Dooniverse years ago, now we're entering into the Hanna-Barbera-verse. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and a surprising number of Scooby-Doo iterations. <laughs> I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And today, as Chris said, we are getting back into the Scooby-Doo universe. Uh, with the new, the new 2020, are we still in 2020? Yes, 2020 is still is happening. Right? <laughs> Still happening. Wow, really? It's not exhausted yet. Um, still happening in 2020. Scoob, with an exclamation point. The new movie about Scooby-Doo, starring Scooby-Doo. And friends. And friends. Like, emphasis on friends this time. Lots of friends. So many friends. Well, not so <laughs> and many. And this is... But... Uh, a decent amount of friends. <laughs> uh, this movie is a new... Uh, I am not prepared to say standalone, but a new beginning in a Scooby-Doo story, not related necessarily to any of the other Scooby-Doo universes that may be out there, however many we're at now. Well, 30. I think originally there were 12 distinct TV series of Scooby-Doo when we first started our podcast, uh, when we did our first episode about Scooby-Doo, A Tale of Two Scoobies. Which I'm still, I think that's our best episode title ever. Um, <laughs> but at that time, there were 12 distinct series. And I think since then, it, there may have been two or three added plus additional films, which we didn't count in that point. I saw a bracket going around somewhere of someone trying to like rank all the Scooby Doo's, and they had maybe divided things out more finely than we had with the movies and specials. Yeah, the specials. Yeah, because there is a new Scooby-Doo plus, and guess who? That's a new show that's happening oh, last yeah. year. So, Did we watch that? Did we talk about that? We did talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we did. We did, because it had uh, <laughs> the guy. And it was funny. Yeah, the basketball player <laughs> at the golf tournament. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we watch too many cartoons. <laughs> the, thus is our life. Mm -hmm. But there, there has been a lot of Scooby-Doo in the world. And I think it was interesting because this was trying to be a a whole new start just to something completely different. Here is Scooby-Doo in a new yet familiar way. Scooby-Doo on the big screen. Yeah. It tried to take a lot of the modern sensibilities of what are populated, populated, popular animated movies of the late 2010s and Put that into a Scooby-Doo movie. A modernization, adaptation, an adaptation of Scooby-Doo for the modern age? Yes. What does Scooby-Doo look like in this year? And also do what everyone else is doing and try to make it connected to a larger universe. 
because everybody loves cinematic universes. That's what Dark Universe taught me. <laughs> but <laughs> from from like a marketing producer executive standpoint, Scooby Doo makes the most sense as an in to the Hanna Barbera universe. It's probably their most popular property. I I think that could be argued with like at least Flintstones putting up a fight too. Oh, of course. I mean, I just mean in terms of cultural superiority. There, there there's not. <laughs> Look, if you say Fred Flintstone, yes, you get a lot of people understanding. But you say Shaggy and Scooby, I think back to Eddie Izzard talking about you know like oh Shaggy and Scooby like around the world, Shaggy and Scooby, you know who those folks are. Fred Flintstone, yeah, but the Flintstones really haven't been on TV, and they were going to have a a new series a few years ago that fell fell through. Mm-hmm. So, but Scooby Doo is a cultural presence that's been consistently on some screen since 1969. I think additionally, it's not isolated in its own world with its own set of rules like the Flintstones and the Jetsons are and the Mm. rest of Hanna-Barbera kind of exists in this zany, air quotes, contemporary shared universe. That makes sense. Even Johnny Quest. (laughs) Right. Which is sort of thrown in as an Easter egg here into Scoob. Johnny Quest (sighs) exists. And they make computers. I, uh, I... Love and hate it because I can only imagine that it's not convergent evolution that the people working on Scoob have seen the Venture Brothers, this parody of Johnny Quest, where they've now taken over the venture company that makes V phones and V computers. And Venture Brothers is now influencing what Johnny Quest is. (laughs) I don't know. I think Johnny Quest being the technological power behind everything in the Hanna-Barbera verse would be its own interesting film. Oh yeah. It make it definitely makes sense. And it's an easy way to talk about contemporary things in a way that makes sense with your characters in the universe. <laughs> like, yeah, of course I, I shouldn't say of course, uh, because Dr. Quest was not that kind of scientist, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> But he's like the Iron Man of the Hanna-Barbera-verse. <laughs> he's mm. super smart. So before we get too far off the rails, um, any further, I should say, any further off the rails, um, we get in Scoob an origin story of the Mystery Inc. characters. You know, our our. Fred and Velma and Daphne and Shaggy and Scoob and how they all come together and start their adventuring. But also our, we dip our toe into a larger universe with bigger villains and superheroes because there is not, there are not enough superhero films. We should also add them into Scooby-Doo. I mean, I'm 
some of the I'm, I'm trying to compose my thoughts because uh, I watched this movie and I really liked it. I was like, yes, this movie absolutely embraces the spirit of Scooby-Doo and like combines yes. multiple iterations of Scooby-Doo into like one cohesive train of thought. And I was like, first thing I'm going to do, as I do many times nowadays, now that I've embraced it, um, I see something that I like and I'm like, let me go to Twitter and see what people think. Mm. And it seems like there's a lot of people who don't like this movie because according to them, it's air quotes, not Scooby-Doo. And I do not understand that sentiment at all. Well, let's because yeah, it's got blue Falcon, but there are Scooby-Doo team ups. Right. I think they forget about that. I think here's, here's what I feel. So let's, let's break it apart just a little bit and look at it in chunks and see what we have. So we start off with the origin story of how Scooby and Shaggy met. And at this point, Scooby doesn't even have his name. So how did Scooby-Doo get his name? And how did they meet? And how that beautiful friendship between Norval, Shaggy Roberts, and his dog, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, begin? And we get that in a really cute way that's Slightly ruined by the trailers, but we it's extended and longer and actually more heartfelt uh, in the in the film. Then we get to pup named Scooby Doo, where we meet all the characters as young kids solving their first mystery and realizing, oh, there are people in masks pretending to be ghosts. Let's start a whole business based on that. And then we get the two-minute sequence of them growing up and having their adventures like normal, which I think encapsulates the movie that everyone was hoping that a Scooby-Doo movie would be. But there's nothing necessarily new to tell there. I I agree <laughs> what I'm talking about um, is there are expectations and people weren't ready for something different from Scooby-Doo. And I still don't think that it is different. You're right. But it's not the story that they were expecting they wanted spooky villains and a mystery to solve and in this one it changes that a little bit so i wonder if the problem here with nostalgia is that because there are so many iterations of scooby-doo you can't meet nostalgia expectations because everyone has different generations of nostalgia and different touch points to what scooby-doo is Mm mm-hmm So for some people, you get a pup named Scooby-Doo. Yes, your first introduction to Scooby-Doo was the 1980s. Great. That's covered in there. Your Scooby-Doo was the original 1960s. We gave you that three-minute sequence in there. Okay, your entrance into Scooby-Doo was the 1970s, where they had these interesting... um, 
maybe interesting is too strong a word, where it had all these guest stars and celebrities get involved. Oh, you know, Batman and all these other people involved in Scooby-Doo. And so here's Simon Cowell as a celebrity guest star here who's going to have influence on the plot. I was really hoping it was going to be like a clue moment where everyone got a different celebrity guest star in their screening. (laughs) Oh, that would have been great. Because I agree, like, I was kind of like, oh, Simon Cowell, that's a very specific choice for some reason. But I see why they have a guest star and in the spirit of Scooby-Doo, why they had that element. Uh, So I wonder if maybe if they released in theaters, they were going to do different stuff, but uh, that's neither here nor there. That would have been fun, too, though. I think that would have been an interesting way of going to it. Or just so many guest stars that it just... Every so often, they would meet just somebody else. You know, like, Dick Van Dyke, you know, what are you doing here in the desert, the Gobi Desert, where we're looking for this next thing? It would have been great if every Deus Ex Machina was some other classic celebrity type. Right. Hugh Jackman. (laughs) And you have your Wolverine claws for some reason? That's great. That's synergy. And he can also sing like Jean Valjean. <laughs> Don't so worry. There, there oh, is... I got this. And he like starts singing something <laughs> like, like, oh, no, we can't sing. Shaggy Scooby, you guys can sing. And then they get it wrong. And it doesn't. it's like, Don't worry. Hugh Jackman, I'll help you. <laughs> See? See, I'm cracking up. I love, <laughs> I love the stupid Scooby-Doo guest stars. That's one of my favorite things about Scooby-Doo. So maybe that's why I had an opener more open mind but we also have this dichotomy between the real guest star celebrities mm. or celebrity in this case and then the Hanna Barbera guest stars <clears throat> team up yeah team up throwaways references I think that there are some more main characters and their voice actors get top billing and are famous uh, and then there's just like throwaways, like we talked about Johnny Quest already. Like, oh yeah, there's a random Johnny Quest reference. Cool. Did you know that Grape Ape was going to be in there? There's a deleted scene that included Grape Ape. Wasn't he in the the credits? Spoilers. Was he? I don't Wasn't remember. he part of the? There's a there's a sequence in the credits where they introduce in like montage. Um, a bunch of other Hanna-Barbera characters working as a team-up. And it was like a bunch of the talking animals. Oh, maybe I didn't. Like Jabberjaws. Maybe I didn't watch the credits. I don't remember that. <laughs> Silly me, a movie viewer in 2020, not watching the credits. It's like as the credits are rolling, it's not like a real scene. It's just kind of, it's like an epilogue, like it's almost like if you're given a series of news headlines, like these characters did this now, except it's slightly animated behind the credits. I did watch that. Yes, I did watch that. Okay. I thought you were meant like an actual. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Okay. This was after the contemporary animated film, pop music dance party at the end. Yes. Got it. Yeah. The dance party credit sequence. But so who are who are our main 
Hanna-Barbera guest stars that we get? We get four main ones. <laughs> you have Blue Falcon, or the son of Blue Falcon, who is the new Blue Falcon, which I think is interesting, but only if you know about Blue Falcon, which they tried to do. Anyway, we'll get into it. Blue, new Blue Falcon, Dino Mutt. You get D.D. Skies, also possibly D.D. Sykes, depending on where you look. She's from originally from Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, which I used to watch as a kid. Uh, <laughs> and then you get Dick Dastardly, your main villain, who's from Wacky Races. But everyone knows him as the, the meme guy with the long mustache and the raspy... Heavy smoking, laughing dog. He doesn't. He doesn't smoke. He just sounds like he's had a pack a day. Mutley. I I was totally okay in the trailers with like Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt. I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. They're adding them. Interesting. I didn't like the trailer. Like one of the last trailers spoiled that Dick Dastardly was the villain. Hmm. I thought that was disappointing because I think it is such a great twist to have him be the villain of this movie. Because that really changes the dynamic. It's the perception shift in this movie. Because if you're expecting a Scooby-Doo mystery with a rubber mask ghost that you unmask, and maybe there's some kind of villain pretending to be an alien who's actually a great inventor with a lot of money, or Simon Cowell, <laughs> for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you learn that the villain is Dick Dastardly. You go, oh, this is bigger than just a Scooby-Doo story. Right. And I, I do I do wonder about that because Dick Dastardly is a Hanna-Barbera silly villain who's never really been in a, a show with a plot before. <laughs> He's only ever been in really the races things. Like, oh, let's win a race with my crazy inventions and ideas. I'm Dick Dastardly and I'm going to win this race. So it was interesting to have Dick Dastardly become this character with a reason to exist and a reason to do something. And I do like that he's not out to get revenge on these kids or anything. He just needs Scooby-Doo because of Scooby-Doo's lineage. Yeah. Which, which was, and admittedly, a bit of a weird plot point. Right. But, but thematically, I understand why Dick Dastardly and Muttley were in this movie, and I completely agree with it, because this movie is about Scooby and Shaggy, mm-hmm. but it's about, at a greater level, the relationship of a boy and his dog. <clears throat> right. Because we get Scooby and Shaggy, Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt, Dick Dastardly and Muttley and Alexander the Great and his dog, whatever that dog was. So really you have three juxtapositions of dog and boy together. Mm-hmm. Scooby and Shaggy start off trusting each other. Then there's this doubt between them. Uh, and that's highlighted by with Dynamut and Blue Falcon, Dynamut, the dog not trusting the boy. And then with Dick Dastardly, the boy not trusting the dog and kind of not giving them the respect that they deserve. 
Mm. So you have these counterpoints to the Scooby and Shaggy relationships when they come together. It's more satisfying, um, especially because you see those other relationships repaired and more trusting as well. Mm. It's a Shakespearean comedy where all the boys and dogs get married at the end. Right. Everyone finds their dog (laughs) mate back together. I do find it interesting that that they tell you that in the very, very beginning. Here you go. Here's Shaggy and Scooby. This is their story. And also there are these other kids that they do solve mysteries with. But it's it's about their core relationship. They're the core relationship that we're following throughout. And it follows the typical Scooby-Doo structure of an episode because usually Scooby and Shaggy get separated from the group anyway. And they have to have their own wacky adventure with the villain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're they're getting, they pretend to be chefs or do other things, which was probably one of the better sequences of having those robots ordering their food, you know, and getting their menu. What would you like um, from this? So, but it wasn't really until I sat back and started to think about it a little bit more that it was like, oh, that's why Motley and Dick Dastardly are in this. That's why Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt are in this because of that dog thing. I think they could have, I know that they they brought in this plot where Alexander the Great and his dog, and it's like trying to hit you in the face with it. But I feel like there's just so much that you're just like, wait, why are we going here? Why Why is this? happening there's just a lot of distraction that muddles up that basic Mm. story because you're still in addition to trying to figure out what's going on with shaggy and scooby you're also having to learn about these new people in really big complicated ways and it's usually while you're traveling to do something else plot based you're just yeah there was a lot of travel there, there are three MacGuffins that we have to chase and everything's going on. And I think, personally, I think Dee Dee Skies was muddying the Dino Mutt Blue Falcon relationship in terms of them, you know, and how they operate. A little bit. I liked her as a character and the... Yeah. Mo- the <clears throat> The Blue Falcon Dynomut DD movie, I'd be all over that movie. I think that would be a really fun film. And hopefully they're set up for that, unlike Dark Universe. Um, I see what you're saying, and I by no means need to suggest that any or every movie needs token characters of any kind in any way. Because um, I understand you're Mm-hmm. criticism but i think you'd agree that also like dd does add to the movie she in does. other ways right um and how do you make a hannah Barbera movie using classic characters in this day and age without basically calling out that they're all white mm. so i thought they made smart choices to bring in characters and voice actors and make 
subtle changes that embraced the diverse kid audience that we have today. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the audience in the 60s wasn't diverse, but certainly it's more diverse now. <laughs> right. And they expect that. Mm-hmm. But also, you then that makes you wonder about the guest star that they chose, Simon Cowell. And while I understand Simon Cowell giving them a... He's this judge, and he says, you're going great, but these guys are terrible. But I think you could have done that with almost any guest star in a way, you know? Yeah, he has the clout as a reality TV judge, and his whole MO is judging things. But I feel like you could have brought in somebody and maybe give them even a, a larger presence. Um, Mm. and give it to, I don't want to say like Lin-Manuel Miranda or something, but you know, like somebody, and I understand they probably had him on payroll anyway, because of, you know, Warner brothers and other things, but surely somebody, (laughs) these are just questions. We're getting really nitpicky because overall the, the, the film functions overall yeah but taking it from yes that was a fun film to okay great what what are the ways that it could become a little bit more meaningful and how can we punch up what's already there these are the questions yeah because it's scooby-doo is a tv show and this is a movie Mm -hmm. and when you're making a movie for better or worse it's the stakes are the meta stakes are higher for the studio um things have to make money they spend a lot of money on this to make it look good to make people want to go see it uh so the stakes in the movie have to be higher as well you see this again and again when things that are tv shows get made into movies like suddenly the characters are at something a plot that is more dramatic than something they've ever faced before more dangerous in some way Mm mm-hmm because otherwise, why is it a movie? And maybe one day we'll exist in a world where that isn't the case. But right now, that's the case. So it makes sense for the stakes to be high. You, you keep talking about stakes and I keep wanting to do like a Scooby-Doo voice. Like, rakes. Mm. <laughs> Lots of rakes. Anyway, um, yes. Rakey rungry. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, what was I going to say about stakes? Oh, this is the first Scooby-Doo iteration that I've seen that calls the Scooby and Shaggy relationship into question. Yeah. Can Scooby and Shaggy survive? Can that relationship survive this film? That was the question of what holds... Scooby and Shaggy together, and are they forever? Mm-hmm. Are they in it till the end? And, and in that way, the, the character stakes were much higher. Right. Right. Like, based on other Scooby-Doo's, we know the gang isn't always all together. Like, maybe Fred and Velma aren't there, but Daphne stays for some reason. Like, cool, but Scooby and Shaggy are always there. They're the core they're the core thing that make, they're the heart. And the crew says that later on, like they're the heart of things. 
And what I, I think was missing was a little bit more of something to activate the stakes. It always felt like, to me, that Scooby-Doo was reluctant to take on this new persona. It was very mm-hmm. immediate and quick. It, you know, instead of slowly pulling away from each other, it was um, built up in this scene that I know was supposed to be meaningful, but it's Scooby-Doo is getting this new uniform to become like the Blue Falcon, and he has to take off the collar. And it becomes this moment of, oh, you have to take off the collar so we can put this costume on you. Like, great, now the costume's on, now put the collar back on. Like, it, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that... <laughs> how does that moment call that into question, you know? It, it just felt like an impure way of getting at what could drive this relationship apart. Does that make yes. any sense? Yeah, I, I think so. It's like the characters didn't actively engage in their plots going separate ways. It was just kind of very, the, the core point was kind of passive aggressive. Is that what you're saying? I think so. It was decisions a little bit made for them. You know, I think there was a lot made of symbolic things that it not, and it wasn't really an action for the other, you know, it, it felt meaningful. Maybe it just felt wrong in it to me in some ways that taking off this collar would mean everything. It just doesn't seem to hold as much as the filmmakers wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because dogs take off collars to have baths. Like it's not like a reaction thing. It's not part of that dog. But if later on what happens where Scooby leaves and uh, Shaggy is left behind, if that happens and Shaggy doesn't know where things go or Scooby stops eating sandwiches because now he has to be healthier. He has to make healthy Mm -hmm. choices. You know, that's Scooby making a decision that goes against Shaggy, you know, Mm -hmm. like, or he says, no, Shaggy, you can't be part of this. Like there's, there's that brick where it's like, no, I'm, I'm choosing to do this. I want to do this. I want to, be a hero and you know maybe we maybe we're not good friends shaggy if you can't get behind this maybe we're not meant to be together but yeah i i could see that and yeah i'd agree like active more activity in this character difference would have been more dynamic because it feels like the plot is progressing and we're just kind of seeing the the characters stall out and that's kind of the, the character plot for a while hmm. as opposed to the actual MacGuffin plot. It felt a little at odds. Yeah. Thank you for... Yeah. 
I don't know if that made it any more clear. You're thanking me, but I think I just said it much worse than you did. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But <laughs> now, the Blue Falcon Dynomut stuff, that was perfect. Like, I, that's, I, maybe that's why everybody was saying, like, it wasn't a Scooby-Doo movie because of how well the Blue Falcon Dynomut stuff worked and functioned as characters growing and in understanding with each other. I got handed to Ken Jong because Batman brings it to every role that he does like nonstop. There is nothing between him and like being as crazy as possible, but he really sold it as Dino Mutt in a way that I would have not expected anyone to want to play Dino Mutt or to sell Dynamut as hard as Ken did. Mm. Best part of the movie. So sassy. So wonderful. So intelligent. Mm-hmm. It was, Give us more Dynamut. It wasn't the classic Dynamut, because Dynamut was a little bit ridiculous and kind of dumb in the... Um, originals but this is a dino mud i could get behind yeah he's just like this frustrated sidekick yeah mm-hmm. who should be batman <laughs> i should be the blue falcon right i deserve that title right like you're not a falcon <laughs> you you're not blue uh you are a mechanical dog, a dynamic mutt, if you will. <laughs> I, I just appreciate Dino Mutt so much in this film. Like that, that was the movie. It's like, yeah, I'll enjoy more of this movie. Let's take more of this movie. But and yeah. I, I, and I, modern superhero movies have lost all that kind of crazy, like '60s superhero. It would make sense for a animated cartoon superhero movie to bring back some of the zaniness of the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, probably why people were not expecting that in a Scooby-Doo film. <sighs> I guess. <laughs> we're not studio execs, so sadly we don't have power and can't make a Dynamut film. Well, maybe but they But if you can. are a studio exec listening, yeah. Chris and I will write that film. <laughs> Let's have it happen. Not just that, but the film. Not us doing it necessarily, but that film. <laughs> Is there anything else we would like to say or any other point we would like to make about Scoob? Uh, there's a little little tidbit. I don't know if I have any coherent thought on it yet, uh, but my husband has brought up um, the Zombie Island movie a lot, mm. which if you're not familiar, was like the 2002 scooby-doo movie after there'd been no scooby-doo really in a while um i think it was direct to video oh 1998 dang um so i haven't been to scooby-doo in a while and then to bring scooby-doo back they did this direct to video movie scooby-doo and zombie island uh which is arguably one of the best iterations of scooby-doo and then they made a whole bunch of sequel movies that were not as good (laughs) before experimenting with scooby-doo tv shows again and it's interesting that 
in a similar way that that brought Scooby-Doo to a new generation in a movie with the stakes up, like these two uh, properties went very different directions because while this is going into the Hanna-Barbera verse and looking at characters, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island was like, I think the first Scooby-Doo thing where the monsters were real and they took it seriously unlike 13 ghosts right the 13 ghosts of scooby-doo where it's real but it's silly yeah and this was like haha we solve mysteries with crazy rubber masks look at these crazy there's a lot of people in zombie masks oh they're zombies okay (laughs) uh so it's just interesting to see not that we're comparing the two in this episode, but it was interesting to me to note how those two went in opposite directions for the same reasons. A real spiritual threat, supernatural threat. Yeah. Versus a real threat that isn't supernatural uh, and kind of divulging itself of the, uh, the mystery solving part, more of an action movie. Yeah. Action adventure. It was a lot like kingdom of the crystal skull kind of Indiana Jones. Let's go after this MacGuffin thing rather than solving anything. Well, the other characters were who took Scooby and Shaggy. So they had a mystery, but that was solved really quick by finding a mustache hair. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it was. Hmm. Anyway, that was that whole thought to me. Well, anything else we need to say other than it was fun? We hope that you rented it. Yeah, go. I mean, don't go see it unless you can in your state now. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But see it somehow. You'll have fun. Chris, did you have a favorite thing about Scoob? I think my overarching favorite thing was just Dino Mutt in the in the film. But I think my favorite moment was Shaggy and Scooby in the bowling alley pretending to be chefs and taking people's orders and that interaction between them and the and the robots. I think that was just really, really classic Scooby-Doo and really hilarious. Yeah, I'm thankful that we can stop embracing realism and animation. Oh, it was so nice to see. Like we're we're just gonna pretend to be the be the waiters here. Uh, yeah, here we go. Let's this will fool the bad guys. Like that's just great. We need abs- we need absurdity. Like bring back absurdity into animation. There's a catchphrase for you. <laughs> what about for you? Uh, my favorite thing was just throwaway line, which is in the first trailer, which is them analyzing the mustache hair. And I figure what they say about it, like it's got a hint of scotch and aftershave and Daphne just going, "Ugh, it's the bad guy, my dad. And I was like, there's so many <laughs> levels to that joke. I want to know more about this history in the sequel. <laughs> right. <sighs> Daddy issues, Daphne. But not like that. Hmm. Anyway, let's talk homework time. <laughs> let's. For 
next time, we're going to check in on the status of adult animation in TV shows and where that is. Um, so you can watch around, see a couple things. We're going to specifically dig into the Midnight Gospel available on Netflix and Last Man, uh, which might be on Netflix if you're not in the U.S. And if you are in the U.S., is on VRV. So check those out. Um, or don't. Up to you. You're your own adult. <laughs> As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Let us know your thoughts about Scoob on the web, on Twitter, at WG Animated, or like our page on Facebook, at WG Animated there as well. Check out our show notes and more information, links to things on our Podbean, writersgetanimated.podbean.com, where you can find show notes and past episodes. Listen to any that you've missed there. Because what else are you going to do? Right on roll. <laughs> oh, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.